Hello, my name is Ginny Buckley, the founder of Electrifying.com, and this is the second episode of Pioneers from the team at Bridgestone EMEA. It's a podcast about sustainability, mobility, and innovation. To be a leader, it, it means that you need to be on top of your business. It's a real challenge, but it's also a great opportunity. They haven't been in this for the past 100 years, so now they're coming in with a new angle. Automotive industry is in the midst of one of the most significant revolutions, I guess, since the car was first invented. Incredible tech advancements, changing customer needs, huge data availability and evolving regulations are all driving changes across the spectrum, from personal cars to shared mobility and last mile delivery to micro-mobility. We're now seeing a wave of new automotive startups entering the market to take advantage. They're working at rapid pace to bring new products and solutions to the market and challenging traditional business models as they go. So what are some of the challenges that come with working with these industry newcomers? And how is Bridgestone offering its expertise and market leadership to their advantage? I'm joined now by Adrian Thorman, Head of Total Solution Package, James McMurray, Key Account Manager, OE Sales, and Niels Voss, Senior Product Manager from the Bridgestone EMEA team. So welcome all, great to have you with us today. So where are you dining in from, uh, at home or are you back in the office? I'm in the office today, so I'm very happy to be you know, back with everyone. Yeah. And James, what about you? Yeah, same for me. Great to be back in the office, see a few, a few of the old faces. Yeah. And, and Niels? Same here. Not the office, but uh, our Amsterdam office, which is a different office than Adrian and James are calling from, so that's for sure. I'm bucking the trend today because I'm actually working from home today. But um, it has been a tricky couple of years, hasn't it, for getting face-to-face with partners. Uh, and I'm I'm interested on uh, to hear from you guys about has that, I guess, impacted on how decisions are made? From my side, because I'm involved in the, uh, in the sales element, and of course, we have a lot of direct contact with the customers. Um, so it's really, it, it is beneficial to have that face-to-face and uh, really, you know, sort of get in close to the customer and understand what it's all about. But um, I think we've learned to adapt, and that's absolutely key. Now we realize that we can probably in the real world have an element of both. Yeah, I fully agree, James. For me, same thing, you know, really had to adapt, you know, both myself and, you know, the people that I uh, interact with on a database in the beginning. But to be honest, I don't really feel the urge, right, to go back into uh, trains and airplanes to uh, to get to to meet customers or partners because it, it works as more efficiently, obviously, but it, it seems to work almost as good as uh, face-to-face contact nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting, Adrian, because I think we, you guys have been very busy building new partnerships um, during this period where it was hard to have face-to-face meetings. Um, and that's mean, mainly down to this huge disruption that we're seeing in the sector. I mean, the changes that are coming to mobility are just incredible, aren't they? Um, I guess, do you think that these changes are being driven by some of the new manufacturers that are coming through, these names like, you know, Fisker and Aura and Volta? Or are they just changing, actually, to um, how the needs of society are changing? 
Well, I think disruption really comes from several aspects. Um, there's, of course, answering the new climate regulations. Um, you know, Europe is, uh, has for goal to reach carbon neutrality by 2050, so we have to change to answer that. There's also finding new ways to reach profitability now that we have uh, the market has entered a lower maturity level uh, and there's maybe higher uncertainties on raw materials outlooks and on how the society is going to evolve. Uh, there's also now new customer expectations on changing from maybe uh, engineering superiority to digital services and experiences. And then there is also kind of sales and aftermarkets revenues that are now going towards more data and digital experiences. And, and I'm sure Niels will be able to tell us a lot about this. But I think that all of these uh, new players that are coming, they are leveraging uh, you know, what we commonly call the, the case of the connected autonomous shared and electric levers to best address these four items. And so they are disrupting based on these new needs uh, and, and therefore creating maybe new products um, that are more geared to what, what people are looking for and towards where society is going uh, instead of maybe having too much legacy like a lot of the traditional OEMs. What would you say the biggest strengths are of the newcomers? They understand maybe what the customer wants uh, with a fresh eye. You know, they haven't been in this for the past hundred years. So now they're coming in with a new angle. There's a lot of focus that is put now on, on software and, and user experience instead of uh, engineering and, and hardware, which has been driving the auto industry for, for the past hundred years. So they're really developing and bringing to market vehicles in a very short period of time. Typically, maybe you look at, I don't know, uh, five years or so for somebody to design a vehicle and then bring it to market. And these guys are doing it in maybe two years, year and a half, two years. And then we have to learn to cope with that as well because, of course, we have to adapt and change uh, also. And they're able to bring latest technology and bring it to the market very quickly. It's not four, five, six years old, maybe from when it was originally designed. Bridgestone and myself in particular have been connected with some uh, interesting companies for the past few years. So um, it's no great secret, but we worked with Dyson and they were one of the first ones to be uh, highlighted in the marketplace where they wanted to bring an electric vehicle. And we then, we had a lot of learnings from working with a company like that. It's that sort of indication and that sort of uh, noise we were able to make in the marketplace, which then brought Fisker along as well. And they were able to then see the uh, how um, groundbreaking and, and uh, with leading technology that Bridgen were able to bring uh, to the marketplace. And then we were able to then uh, take the next step with Fisker and have been working with them for some period of, of time now, with hopefully then uh, everything should be in line. To, to support them to bring in their market, bring in their car to market uh, by the end of this year, which is their plan. Yeah, it's very exciting. I'll be driving it in the summer and I can't wait. And the tyres looked fantastic when I saw it a couple of weeks ago in Barcelona. What are they doing that makes them different to a traditional OEM? Well, so working as an asset light company, meaning that um, they're not going to invest all of their capex that is traditionally done whether it is to build new factories, to build a new retail network, uh, to build new point of sales. Um, it is relying on key partners that can do it with you as key partners. And this is how we're positioning Bridgestone really, is to leverage all of our assets, leverage all of our know-how to actually uh, enable these companies to, to come to our markets 
and to accelerate their go-to-market strategies thanks to our assets that we already have in place. You know, Niels, clearly there's loads of startups entering the market at the moment. Everybody wants a piece of this opportunity that lies out there. How do you as a company decide who to bet on? It's a risk, right? I mean, uh, left or right, that's something that we have to deal with as a, as a company. And I mean, we want to be a leader, not only in bringing the best tires to the market from a quality perspective, from price perspective, from specifications in general, also from mobility solutions. And, you know, to be a leader, it, it means that you need to be on top of your business. You need to be on top of the market, know what's going on, know what's going on in terms of trends, you know, what are startups but also traditional companies, what are they doing and what are they aiming at? And I think by, by doing that, you sort of like reduce the risk, right, to, to, to fail. Uh, on the other hand, it, you cannot avoid to fail and that's okay. You know, it's okay to fail, but then try to fail quickly and, and take the learnings from that failure to your, to your next, pro- next project and do it better the next time. And, and I think that's the best that we can do as an organization in this, uh, in this domain. Nobody has a crystal ball, uh, so it's also securing in some ways a little bit the future of our companies. And it's also for us to you know, find new ways to work. We're seeing a lot of new tech companies coming into the market as well. Some of them tech giants, in fact. Niels, are these companies also challenging Bridgestone when it comes to fleet management solutions? We know the the story of Tesla uh, by now, right? You know, uh, new new tech, uh, nowadays a tech giant as well, I would like to say, uh, totally disrupting the market. Uh, Quite recently, we heard an interesting announcement of uh, uh, Sony and Honda cooperating, very interesting uh, partnership, if you ask me. And and these companies have the ability to to bring something disruptive. So that's that's really interesting. But competition from unexpected corners in itself is nothing new, really. We always had to scan the market, had to understand what is happening to continue to making the the, the right decisions. And, And I think we should focus on our own competence rather than fearing challengers. And besides, as as Bridgestone, we are eager for cooperation. You know, we just talked about this asset light approach and. I think that particularly new tech companies are are like that, you know, very open for cooperations and, and partnerships. And uh, together with the right focus, we can we can dif- differentiate and offer all the appealing solutions to continue to attract customers directly. So I'm not necessarily too scared, you know, of, of competitors coming from the new tech uh, corner. It's that full package, uh, that full portfolio that we're able to bring, be it the retail network, the digital solutions, uh, web fleet. Of course, we're known for the tar technology, and this has been uh, one of our real unique items that we're able to bring to the table. And, and come on, I'm going to put you on the spot now. You've mentioned Dyson with their ambitions for potentially producing a car, which we know now they have obviously pulled back on, ran back on that. We still have Google, we still have Apple. Do you think any of these Big tech giants, these big names will finally bring a car to market that they intend to manufacture. Um, and I guess if so, what, what would your opportunity be with them? I'm actually disappointed. Dyson didn't manage to pull it through. You know, new uh, new company from that uh corner you know imagine what kind of interesting uh, gimmicks they could have introduced to this car i imagine that the the streets would have been very clean uh, with the dyson cars driving around (laughs) if you look at statistics one of these tech companies will 
at a certain moment bring a car into the market, right? Um, but again, I, I don't think that they will be capable or even willing to 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 bring a car to the market all by themselves. You know, to to own the whole value chain. And now we just, between brackets, need to make sure that we are present with our solutions and, and focus on the right niches so we can actually be, be part of that, you know, and take a piece of that pie. We've talked about um, tech companies, but, but really what's what's behind is that, you know, before we had one car that addressed uh, many different usages from personal use to free-floating to taxis to asthma delivery, you name it. It was just, you know, one car. And now for every need, we're seeing kind of a new solution being proposed. And this new solution can be proposed by a tech company. It can be proposed by a logistics player. It could be proposed by an aggregator or you name it. And I think for each one of these different usages, um, there is maybe a different approach that can be uh, proposed and a different uh, partnership uh, scheme that can also be put in place because for each one of them, it's again, a different use. It's a different customer. Um, and it's a you know different uh, technical uh, challenge. Let me just ask you: What do each of you? What do you think the industry is going to look like? Let's let's fast forward a decade, say maybe look, go further if you like. What do you think the future holds? Well, maybe, I mean, if we let's go uh, quite far in the future, we talk about uh, connected, autonomous, shared electrification. I mean, I think autonomous, of course, is like, it's a bit like the holy grail. It's, that's really where it's going to potentially end. Um, but I think we're a long way from that. I mean, they have many issues with liability and how we sort of manage that uh, going forward. But I look, I mean, I'm a bit, little bit of a petrol head. So I look at uh, driving. And I think to myself, okay, so the actual art of driving could potentially become like a luxury sport, just like horses are or were. So if we go back 150 years, horses were a mode of transport every day. London was full of them, for example. Then here we are today where horses are pretty much a luxury sport. And I sort of see the, the actual art of driving taking us that way as well. Okay, Adrian, come on, what's your, what's your uh, crystal ball gazing for the future? Where are we heading? Well, so I, I think maybe not going as far as James, although I, I do like your point of view on this. Um, it's, uh, I, I think right now we're in the middle of this revolution, um, a revolution that is uncertain in terms of the technology that will prevail. Uh, because are we going full electric? Are we going towards hydrogen? Are we going towards a mix? Um, I, I think all of this still has to be, um, you know, worked out. Uh, there's going to be a big shakedown in the upcoming, um, uh, kind of years or even decades. Um, but what is sure is that we have to reach the sustainability targets that we mentioned. Uh, and regardless of the technology that is used, I think this is very important that we make sure that is, it is, that it's achieved. Um, whether it is with the new, tech giants that are going to drive this or the logistics player or just maybe the traditional players uh, that will actually manage the transformation and will take us there. And let's not forget that out of the 90 million new vehicles sold every year, there's uh, you know about 1 million that is sold by these new players. Um, so will that, you know, how are the forces are going to come to an equilibrium at some point or are we going to see the whole markets shift? Um, I'm not sure, but I think the only thing that is sure and that uh, we as Britain believe in is, is we have to make sure uh, to reach these sustainability targets uh, so that we can all live in a better world. 
Well, Adrian mentioned uh, purpose-driven mobility, right? A couple of minutes ago, and that's something that I that I ex expect to to be delivered into the market more and more. And actually, also hope for that. You know, uh, also mentioned uh, new tech companies as an example, uh, Rivian, for example. Uh, they have in their mindset to bring a bring new electric vehicles, but sort of like with the adventure mindset, and they bring such cool things right the complete new design principle bringing all these type of special things uh, specifically for the adventurous motorists and um, I'm, a, I'm a big uh, big fan of uh, diversity on the streets right diversity in in automobiles then in this uh, in this case I'm a bit fed up with the uh, the black and gray uh, german saloons right that you see on uh, on every corner of the street so i actually hope that uh, in a couple of years from now, we will see much more variation in the streets, you know, small cars, biggest, big cars, uh, four wheels, three wheels, whatever it takes, you know, to 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 provide the, the purpose for your individual mobility needs. And that will also make my life easier, right? Because now it's always a matter of a big investment, uh, needing to find whatever suits your needs. And then you have to stick with that for a couple of years, right? If the decision that you make for a company car, for a leasing car, or, or even a car that you buy yourself. So... Uh, flexibility and variation. That's something that I would uh, hope for, at least. Interesting, exciting times ahead. Should I put my two penneth in? Do you want to know what I, what I think? Yeah, sure. I think there's going to be um, huge disruption. I mean, we, we're talk, we're touching on this a bit today, aren't we, about companies that you haven't really heard of yet, you know, these names like Fisker. Um, and I was looking at Chinese startups recently, and there are almost 600 electric vehicle startups operating in China. And then you've got a company, um, Vinfast, quite an obscure car maker from Vietnam, revealing three new electric cars at this year's uh, consumer electronics show in Vegas, which is, of course, the world's largest tech show. And you've got these names, Fisker, Rivian, Lucid, I think you just mentioned, Niels, Aura. I think they're going to become really big recognized brands down the line, possibly the Fords and the Audis and the BMWs of the future. You may all disagree with that one. I don't know. Feel free to say you don't agree with it. <laughs> the automotive in the automotive industry is also really traditional, right? Don't uh, don't forget that. I mean, I can I think we can call the Korean car makers uh, mainstream now, but uh, imagine or, or count back, right? How 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 long it took for them to get to the level that they are currently, and also. Tesla, you know, is a let's call them a successful uh, startup startup now. You know, uh, going from the startup phase to uh, to a full mainstream car maker, they're also working on this quite long, right? And they burned a lot of capital to reach uh, to, to to reach to the level where they are today. So, being an electric vehicle startup, also putting a bit of professionality in behind it, you know, not a lot of them will be successful in the end, and that's just uh, a yeah, fact of the matter. Yeah, interesting times ahead. So a quick final question for all three of you. Do you drive an EV? And if you don't, what would convince you to make the switch? I actually do drive an EV. Uh, I, I live in Paris and uh, as you know, traffic is uh, can be a little little challenging sometimes. So I do drive an uh, electric scooter to go uh, to and from work. So, you know, I charge it over there and it's uh, kind of a, a nice cruise in the morning and in the evening. No, I'm I'm going. I'm still with a uh, with a full fossil fuel uh, vehicle at present, um, but uh, yeah, I need to I need to wait another uh, little bit more of a while just uh, 
for the for the contract and stuff with the uh, with the leasing company, but um, I think it's a second family car. It's something that's uh, it, it will definitely happen. I do I see a lot of advantages for them, especially when you're if you're only doing the smaller journeys, then it really makes sense and it becomes uh, much more suitable. Okay, good stuff. And how about you, Niels? Uh, actually, funny, I, I did drive an electric vehicle, and I don't anymore. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> My wife's company car was an electric car, so she drove it, and I had the uh, the opportunity to drive along and to drive it myself every now and then. It was a, a Tesla Model 3, and I absolutely loved it. But, you know, because of her uh, transition in job, uh, we had to bring the car back. Now we're back to fossil fuel car again, and I really, I really miss it. The problem for me personally is, right, I mean, uh, you buy a car, you, uh, new cars are very expensive. If you want to buy something like a Tesla, even in the secondhand market, it's just super expensive, right? And I think that's that's still the the problem for the majority of us. You know, we want to to move ahead also in something like driving electric vehicles, because I think we can all see the benefits of that, uh, apart from uh, the driving experience, but it's still not accessible for uh, every normal person, I would say. Yeah, I think you need to look very much at total cost of ownership when it comes to electric, if you're looking purely at the purchase price. Um, without a doubt, we're still a way off that tipping point, um, but 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 it's coming quickly, you know. As are all these changes, and it will be exciting to see what electric cars we're looking to buy in a few years' time, and from what brands, because it's certainly not going to be um, the same as it is now. That's for sure. So thanks to Adrian, to James and to Niels. And thank you for listening. For our colleagues in Bridgestone, EMEA, you can read much more on the topic of connected, shared, autonomous and electric mobility on Be Connected EMEA. For everyone else, keep an eye on the Bridgestone EMEA's LinkedIn for the latest news. My name is Ginny Buckley. Thank you for listening to Pioneers Podcast by Bridgestone. Goodbye for now.